Hello everyone and welcome to the Lisa Burke Show. I hope you had a wonderful Easter break. I took a few days away and it was just wonderful. So you've got a refreshed Lisa coming to you from the RTL studios in Kirchberg, Luxembourg. Now, today's interview is with somebody I met a few weeks ago on a rainy day in March. It's Metin Hara. Metin who? Some of you might say that and others of you will know him. Well, Metin Hara is a famous Turkish holistic healer, combining his physiotherapy training with many different esoteric methods that he's trained in. Metin developed this path for himself since he was born with a genetic blood coagulation disorder and allergies to 1,200 items. His childhood was spent in and out of hospital. And on top of this, his father had two very serious car accidents and his mother developed cancer later. Metin has made it his life's purpose to help people learn how to heal themselves. And for this reason, many people look to him as a modern day guru. Let's hear from the man himself. Hope you enjoy it. Lisa Burke on RTL Today Radio. Hello, Metin, and welcome to Luxembourg. It's it's been wonderful since I came here. Yes, Thank the you. weather has been delightful, actually, hasn't it? In the last it's couple good. of days, it's good. <laughs> you were saying actually it's similar to Istanbul, so you are accustomed to the the small rainfall that we have here in Luxembourg. Every season has a purpose. So in life, it's also like this. If you look at it in deep, every season had its own pros and cons which is fine. That's a very good way at looking at our weather here. And of course, we're going to talk deeply about life and particularly your life. So you're Turkish by origin. Where were you born? Uh, I was born in Istanbul. Uh, from I was originally, my family is Jewish, so it's not typical Turkish, but I had different cultures within me that blended in because I studied in American school, which was probably a Western culture. I lived in a country which is West and East combined and a Jewish culture which is all around. So I do not have any identity which I would say this is me, but I think I'm a human and I'm I'm close to anything with love and with compassion. And many people will know your name as a guru of our age and they will look to you for advice and follow your lifestyle. But in order to figure out how you've become who you are today to those people, take us back to what brought you to that place. So your childhood. Uh, the childhood would be, uh, I had, the, the first thing I would say is I would never call myself guru, but the media likes it because I'm just trying to find my path in life and humbly sharing that so. Uh, but when I started, it was at the age of 12 that I was trying to do something and trying to find my life's purpose. At the age of 15, I was discovered by a, let's say, kind of a spiritual person, but the woman wasn't really a spiritual person at all, like pure science and uh, left hemisphere, let's say. Uh, but then I started training, get trainings all around the world. Like I went to Egypt, I went to Hungary, I went to different places and different styles of inner path, let's say. And what I tried to do is I wanted this message to be all the humans, not a particular group. So I had to find a way to communicate which wouldn't exclude any belief, 
any type, any sexual orientation, any culture at all. So I looked at all of them and I saw the breathing and I looked at the modern life and I thought uh, stress would be the first thing to conquer, let's say. So breathing with stress and I also went to medical school. I became a physical therapist and I used science to combine all these three. So breath, medicine, which is biology, and easy-to-do practices so we would cope with stress would be the first way. So at the age of 18, I started to give seminars for the people with leukemia. Well, that's a a very young age to have the confidence in oneself to be able to talk to people with leukemia. But to your own childhood, from what I have read, and you can correct me if it's wrong, you also suffered with some autoimmune issues. Yes, it's a... It's a different, which is much more deadlier than hemophilia. Uh, My blood wouldn't clot, but it's not mm, obvious with small cuts. The bigger cuts would uh, cause internal bleeding. So I had different medical conditions. And also at the age of 17, my father had a deadly crash. It was the first crash accident. At the age of 18, he had the second crash. So me and my family uh, experienced lots of medical conditions. So I had to find a way. I had to find a path to get out. And so with your medical condition, was it genetic or were you the first in your family to have this? Uh, My father had it. My sister didn't have it. My mom didn't have it. But when you look at at the age of 40, which I am now, my mom... uh, passed away like one and a half years ago she had cancer my father had two cancers and two accidents which two of them could be called deadly one he was in intensive care for like three and a half months so all of these medical conditions forced my skill set to find a way Uh, and i believe much of the people tell me in the seminars you know what i went through like it's like a hell i i say i understand i can never feel and empathize with that because i don't know which wars you have been which challenges you have gone through but i understand but in biology if you go through a challenge you have different neural mapping so this creates an advantage and this advantage is always good for the organism so if you went through so many challenges it's not something to that to give up but rather to be a leader of your clan well some people think that with the that neural change uh i'm thinking about chronic stress for instance and that a lot of us live in a, a very stressful environment whether it be work home or a combination of everything in our lives sometimes that doesn't actually flip us into a great life. I think that's a great expression. What I tell is, sometimes the fuel is anger. Sometimes the fuel is hatred. Sometimes the fuel is nearly giving up. Sometimes the fuel is a negative emotion. And I try to teach the people, I'm not one of the self-help people saying that everything is positive, there will be unicorns and trust the universe. I'm not saying like this. I come from medicine background. You cannot do this when you have a sick child in front of you. You have to depend on something else which is more valuable. So what I tell them is you might be going through a winter, but take that fuel and put it somewhere that will change your life. Just 
it's not the time to mourn. It's not the time to uh, talk negative about yourself. If you feel like it, just let the feeling path pass. So when the feeling passes, there is a residue of fuel which I had also. I had to find a way. If I wasn't forced through all these challenges, I would never think of myself going through all these stages in life. So uh, I believe that there are negative emotions, instances, and not all of them are pleasant, but they can have pleasant outcomes if you harness them. And for your father then, what happened to him? The first time he got in... Uh, He got in this accident. It was he fell from a, a boat, let's say, and he has this rib broken, and he was all, uh, I would say, purplish. I don't know the English. Bruised, bruised. Yeah, bruised. And but he went. He, he fainted in front of me, and we went to the hospital. It took some time, and he was back in life, let's say. But the second one, it was one and a half years that took. It took one and a half years for him to walk again. We had more than a hundred fractured bones. It took several months of intensive care, which the doctors give, gave no hope. But I saw, like, all the fathers have seen the kids walk for the first time and they cried. I've seen the other way around. So my father walked in front of me for the first time, let's say, in a year. And we have experienced. It's a different. It's a different um, feeling there. But what I saw through my father, and I was 18 at that time. Let's say 17 and a half to be exact. So we had no financial um, guarantee. We had nothing left. We had our father in the hospital, and at that time, my mother was diagnosed with cancer. So. What I thought and what I seen is motivation didn't work. Like you could motivate yourself. The doctor comes, says, "Okay, you have a three percent chance of living with your father." I'm sorry, this is these are numbers. We never know, but these are numbers, statistics. So I couldn't motivate myself. Praying is which is good, but it may not work. You cannot depend on praying. Uh, so I needed to find a way, and I started telling the fairy tales to my mom and dad saying that if they were given the life back i would pay the debt to all the other people that i don't know so that's the cause that i started with i said it's my mom's and dad's life's debt that i will be paying to the humanity so i started helping people with with cancer I started helping people who didn't have money. So I started helping all these people around. So it became a big fuss because my approach was kind. It was understandable. It was practical because it took only 10 to 15 minutes a day. Because from the medicine I know, from physical therapy that I've been educated, if you give 15 exercises to a patient, they won't do it. But if you give three and say, it will take only seven minutes, can you do it? They say that it can be done and they do the th three, which is, which is fine. So just rewinding a little bit, you effectively made a promise to your poor mother who had just been diagnosed with cancer and your father who is in hospital and couldn't walk, that if they could survive and thrive after this blow 
to the whole family that you would repay humanity by giving back to humanity, starting with 15 minutes a day. Definitely. And that seems to have worked somehow. It, it worked. It worked like heaven. I, I couldn't be more thankful to Do the people. Do you think that's support. a miracle? Uh, I believe that we, um, when you look at it romantically, it's a miracle, but I believe miracles can happen. But do you think it changed their mindset then that you were giving of yourself and they were so proud of what you were offering that they were incentivized internally to get better for you? I don't know. My ma- my father was in coma, so he couldn't hear me. But I Well, they ca- say actually people in coma, the last thing to go is hearing. Uh, de- definitely what I've done is I would go near to my father when it was time to visit. I would tell him a fairy tale that he would get up, we would go on together, we would help as father and son, we would help the people in need, and I would talk with them, definitely. But at that time, I think it was their challenge and their success that they have gone through. My mom has battled cancer for 18 years, and she passed away like two years ago, uh, one and a half or two years ago, but she, she fought she fought really good in her style and my father is alive like he's he's limping a leg a little bit but he he's perfectly fine i think both of their successes were intertwined with mine but i have to give them the credit they they fought with a style of their own and that's what i'm trying to tell uh, like if you're a family some of the path that your family members are taking may not you suit your style but it's still their way of going through life. So I believe it was a combination of all of us and it was a success that we should all own, not only me, not only them. It, it was a, it all tangled upon each other. So from your childhood where you were dealing with this, what was the name of the condition that you... My, my childhood problem was von Willerbrand factors disease, which is the factor eight, uh, which makes the blood clot. Uh, wasn't wasn't really um, functioning well. Do you it still was, have this? Uh, my factor eight levels are prob- uh, normal. We have done the checkups. Uh, the disease seems to be there, but the result of the disease, which is the factor eight deficiency, is not there. So that's that's something which is. I, I believe. Uh, When I was a child, this was a miraculous thing. But now that we see the modern medicine, it's called epigenetics. The way of life affects the genetic code, which when I was a kid, when we were looking at biology, it's, it's, the genetic code was a, like a box that you couldn't affect. Now we know that what we eat, what we think affects ourselves. Our environment. Our environment and the kids that we reproduce. Oh, it goes through the line. Yes, Definitely. this is a, a new, a burgeoning field of medicine and science, for sure, epigenetics. In fact, I was just listening to a podcast with Dr. Will Cole this morning on this. And the fact that, again, you talk about the melange of your family from different parts of the world and you're Jewish living in Istanbul. I don't know the population of Jewish people in Istanbul, but I imagine it's not huge. Um, so, so you have that. And also with epigenetics, uh, something that's beginning to be looked at a little bit is that trauma runs through families. But if we can heal our trauma, then we can heal 
the rest of our ancestry moving forward. That's a great thing to say and to talk already because the power that we hold in the moment will affect generations. That's why we have to take up some responsibility for our lives at first, but at the second hand, it it will go on. So some people say, my family has gone through this. Look, I'm a Turkish, which had so many traumas. I come from Jewish, which had so many traumas. I don't hate anybody. And that that should end. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't need to go in generations. I know that all of the humankind has, has done very stupid things. Very stupid. I call them stupid in a childish way because they seem stupid when you look at it from above. So... Uh, we don't have a big heart to hold that grudge. Really, it's not that big. Uh, so we need to cut the line, do something revolutionary, so the world will be a better place. And so you have been looking into, as you say, you've followed uh, all of these studies around the world, lived in different places and studied in different places to try to find, alongside science and medicine and physiotherapy as your science, ways in which we can change ourselves inside ourselves and perhaps alter the epigenetic code hopefully going forward definitely it's much more than that definitely it includes that but the people tell me like 10 minutes of breathing exercise will it change my life and i say no and they say why we are doing the the mindset that it will bring will change your life it's not the breathing technique so the mindset when the mindset changes for example if i was going through a really harsh day when i saw you 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 shook my hand you you were very friendly you were very funny i wouldn't be able to understand and see the same way that that i am if i was in a like angry mode let's say so the perception changes anything i know that i'm not a spiritual person saying that everything is positive let's pray for it let's do affirmations i don't believe in affirmation i don't believe in positive thinking but i believe in smiling (laughs) i believe in sincerity i believe in uh, logical thinking about your um medical condition the people come to me and say oh uh, i think it will get cured no it doesn't go like this it but some people would say that praying or positive affirmations or such like will change their mindset what i would say is let's think about this if you have something struck in your thought the throat uh, i can do a heimlich maneuver which is a first aid thing or all of the people in the world would pray and do affirmations. Which would you choose? Well, obviously, I've done the Heimlich Maneuver twice to my dear father. Um, and uh, yes, obviously that one <laughs> in that situation. But I just mean, if that <laughs> in the situation where we just need to alter our mindset, sometimes prayer or positive affirmations, or as people say, smiling makes you already physiologically Definitely. think positively. Definitely. What I would say is that Instead of affirming that you are happy, just smile. Mm-hmm. That's the that's the real affirmation that our biology will believe. For example, if you are in a financial crisis, let's say, or a medical crisis, saying that I'm cured, I'm cured, I'm healthy, I'm healthy, I'm wealthy, it doesn't work. You work. You you do some jobs. You work for your health. So that's why I understand your point, which is. Uh, 
if they it makes them feel good if it's okay which is i i would totally agree with that but i believe some of these affirmations will um, block the way to real uh, real natural beauty and a smile and happiness so we need to understand that for example some people say that i pray every day i say look praying is not talking in latin talking in hebrew talking in arabic whatever you believe in praying is taking the time and making the best of it like i have my uh, assistant which i call her the boss <laughs> i'm i'm delighted to work with her we we can quarrel about anything like Uh, Eros came to me uh, we we found uh, let's say coincidentally coincidentally I don't know the English coincidence yeah it was a coincidence and I'm glad that we met him Shenai is one of my uh, friends which happened to come to my seminars it was out of the world that we seen each other and she came to my seminar so I believe that praying is at the moment Hey, if you're eating a pasta, if you're eating a pizza, make the best of it. If you're touching your loved one's hair, make the best of it. Feel it. That's praying in the moment. So if you pray without believing, but complain all the time, how is that? How is that praying? So you've described mindfulness in a different way, in fact. And so you have this holistic approach to life. You have a very well-meaning approach to life and you've literally built your career out of it. I would like to digest some of the ways in which you've learned this holistic approach to life in your travels. So talk us through your travels and what you learned. The thing is, uh, when people think about the holistic approach, they say, oh, you've done life coaching. I say, look, uh, life coaching might be the basic Western um, lookout for what is deep beneath. But I went to Nepal, I went to Australia, I went to uh, the pyramids and everything. So I had different ways that I've seen the cultures have looked for the answer. And if you ask me, Have you found the answer? No, we're still searching for it. But while we are searching for it, I've seen different cultures. So names doesn't mean anything. Uh, I don't believe in one sacred thing and I, I believe in the other sacred thing. I'm not a person like that. Every square ground is sacred. Every person, every people, every kid is sacred. So it came to my mind that these were all, diff these were all different colors of the nature so uh, all these places all these people taught me different things for example uh, when i went to a sufi master let's say he saw me he was blind and he, it was a gesture that i told he saw me when he introduced me he said oh uh, it's a different he knew me by the way uh, he said you're a different breed and i said oh He knows me, like my ego said, oh, he, he recognized my skill set and everything. <laughs> But he said, you're very stupid. And I was wakened. And he said, how do you think that pouring some water to a log would create a tree of roots? You, you should stop giving everything you have to the people who don't deserve. That's such a simple thing. But it was the turning point of my life. And I understood that we are giving money everywhere. We are giving time everywhere. We are giving 
compassion to everyone. But some of the time, we lose the interest of the loved ones and we give that to anyone. And that doesn't mean that they don't deserve your love. But you should have priorities. You should first look out at your garden and make it the best that you can see and then you can help. So this Sufi master, which country was this in? It, it was in Turkey. It was in the mountains of, let's say, uh, the western mountain, western part of Turkey. And so he had been looking at the work you were doing. You say he was blind, but he knew you and what you were doing. Definitely. And he's suggesting to you at that moment in time that you should really look after yourself and prioritize the people who really benefit from your words. The thing is, the work that I had been doing is trying to give seminars and uh, lead the path to the people, uh, saying that they could discover themselves. And there were, there were few people that broke my heart through that because we went through so a lot. I, I was expecting some kind of... Uh, love and affection from them and they couldn't provide that for me I don't know how and it can happen like you've given so much to lots of people and some of the people they didn't they didn't really reply back in the same vibe let's say and I was shocked by that because my father is a very nice guy my sister is like that we come from a like hobbit like uh, heartfelt family and I didn't know how to respond to that and I took it personal but it wasn't about me it was what you have inside the container spills around and I had my container filled with compassion and they might had some troubling times and when it spilled around me I said I didn't give that why did I get that reply so it was something that I needed to learn while doing this because in the seminars, it's it's been over a hundred thousand people. So some of the people may not feel the same way about me. I understand that. Some now. of your seminars will have one hundred thousand people signed up to them. No, it's it's a total of twenty years. I hope so. I hope so. I would <laughs> That's definitely. A very large number. <laughs> yeah, but the the most would be three thousand or something. I I teach the corporates also the like all the multinational companies. But do you feel a responsibility then to really give of yourself in every single seminar to all of these people who have signed up to see you, to hear you, to learn from you? That's also a burden on you. It's a burden and it's a bliss, I would say. The thing is, uh, Esther knows me very well and Shenai has attended my seminars. Some of the times I attended to seminars, I was touching my mom's hair. The hair would fall down because of chemotherapy. I would cry myself out. I, was, I would wipe the tears and I would smile and I would try to give my best. So it's not the... When I give seminars, it's like in a weekend... It's 18 hours of stage and I don't sit, I don't use PowerPoints. I do everything by myself and I put myself and I try to own the stage. So that passion and ambition that I had and fuel, fueled by anger, fueled by uh, anger to all of these things. Why is my mom sick? Why should I go through this? And everything. So it combines and it creates a fuel with good and bad um, roots, I would say, positive and negative roots, to create a better world. So it's it's a big burden. It's a great bliss. Uh, I have seen the downsides of it, but I would never say that uh, I, I would complain about it. 
it's a bliss like much of i would say my mom went to one of the best uh, oncologists in turkey and the doctor would prescribe her some medicine and she also wrote a book's name it was my book and because my mom and dad were divorced uh, the surname wouldn't match like my mom's surname was kurtaran and my surname is hara and my mom looked at it saying that that's my son and the best oncologist in turkey said we are giving this book to help these people so they could take the responsibility and not wait for the chemotherapy passively so why don't you do this and my mom would say i've heard this all my life i don't want to do it but it was a funny story but the thing is when i see people saying that i didn't give up because of you that's the best feeling and i tell these to the people who have crossed my path and gave the power gave the motivation gave the fuel for me to keep going on so i try to pay back what i got that's a humble approach and i i would say i'm asking for none more and so let's talk about your books you have five in total at the yeah. moment and they're all in english are they uh, we have we have uh, four of them in english which have been published in turkey but now we're looking for the publishers all around the world because the first one was kind of bestseller for nine and a half months so it's it's kind of a big thing for turkey i would say i'm proud uh, and it's i never call it as my success but i call it as a lookout for the people who want to change the world so the people would tell me nobody will read a book such like this like a spiritual kind of biological and everything it's a religious country let's say <clears throat> but the thing is they they liked it and nearly 500,000 people in Turkey have bought the book so i would that was a sign saying that no i'm not alone the people want to change the world and the people are looking for pathways which could be used as a tool to change the world without suppressing one another so talk us through what was in that first book and give us some tools that we can take into our lives The first thing that I start my seminars and the first book is, uh, I would say, uh, I would say uh, lowering the brain wave. Uh, we have two brain waves when we are we are not asleep. Let's say when we are awake, the beta brain wave is uh, quite stressed one, which is quite reactive, uh, a little bit more angrier, let's say, because it's looking for uh, survival. The alpha brain wave uh, is the lower one, which we we kind of when we are sleepy, let's say it's the alpha. But when we are taking our time, when we feel, for example, I feel the glass of water here, it's coldish. That's the alpha brain wave. The mindfulness. Now, yes, what the Western society have put as mindfulness is the alpha brain wave in medicine. So. Uh, when you lower the brain wave you change the perception of a person for example i know that traffic is worse in istanbul than here but when you wake up you you're in a very bad mood very negative mood you go through the traffic and the same traffic will will freak you off but when you're in a very good mood you've had great news you feel great the same traffic you don't feel the same 
So the outside world is exactly the same, but the inside of the perception's window have changed. And when the perception changes, the feeling changes. And through that feeling, the reaction arises. So in the first one, you were just swearing around. In the second one, you are singing at the same stimulus. So if we find ourselves waking up in a bad mood for whatever reason has happened in our lives and we're feeling angry and then we get stuck in the traffic jam or that as an analogy to whatever situation in life, what can we do to flip our beta to alpha brainwave? The thing is, the first I would definitely say it's a 10 minutes of breathing exercise. I call it the Sufi breathing, but it's just a medical breathing to tell you the truth. And what is that? Uh, The breathing uh, should be, the inhalation and exhalation will be from the nostrils. So we don't use mouth breathing. The second thing is, I want you to have your spinal cord, I wouldn't say upright, but I wouldn't try to bend it. So it can be upright in a sitting position, or you can lie on your bed, which is comfortable. Like, I don't want you to be like uh, all tense and everything. The third one, uh, the people, when I tell them, like sit upright, have your nostrils, nose pathway ready. Uh, the third one, when I say people uh, to breathe in like a deep, good one, and they would do <laughs> all these things. But this is too much resistance. It's too much. It's medically, it's not good also. So I would try to tell them like, now I can hear the mic and the air. Now I'm going to breathe in and breathe out. As our listeners have heard nothing, there was no resistance. So no resistance breathing creates a calmer state of mind. And the fourth one, which is doing the trick, which is the medical part of it, we breathe in and breathe out in different paces. So in four seconds we breathe in, in eight seconds we breathe out. That creates a different balance. Let's say when you inhale, the vagus nerve excites all the organs. When you exhale, the vagus nerves, the vagus nerve calms down all the organs. So what I did is I took the vagus nerve's way of functioning and I tried to biohack the body to be calmer. So it's just easy. And they say, is there any more complicated rituals? And I say, no, whatever ritual you can do, you can add on it. But the simple physics and biology about it works really fine. And the best thing about this self-help approach is I tell the people when coming to my seminars, believing is forbidden in in this place. And they say, why? I don't want you to believe in me. I want you to experience and see it for yourself. Well, breathing is certainly something that's also coming to the fore in our in our cultures, all cultures at the moment. We see it through the Wim Hof method. We see it through singing, being in choirs, how good that is for your health. Uh, and there, as you say, the Sufi method, there's so many different types of methods of breathing, breathing, but you've explained that one so clearly. What other tricks can we do to calm ourselves down? I would say awareness. 
because when you're when you're much more conscious, when your consciousness level rises, you get triggered a little less. For example, I went to a place which one of my medical school teachers, which is highly highly um, uh, respected career, like a professor of ours, uh, and one of my colleagues were next to me, and the professor came to me and uh, he was like very friendly. He was very friendly. He put his hand on my shoulder saying that I've been looking at your work. It's You're doing great. And my friend was also a very successful physical therapist. And he, the professor put his hand on top of his shoulder saying that, wow, you're doing great also. I've seen your work also. And I said, wow, such a great guy, like all the career he has. I'm one of the thousands of students he had and he knows my name, he knows my career, he's supporting us, great guy. And the, my colleague next to me was triggered by it saying that we are the same profession now, why he's treating us like we are students. Like he, get, he got triggered because of the insecurity. So definitely I would say it's not a plug-in solution anymore. The people want to stay the same and get rid of all the problems. It doesn't work like this. When you're much more aware, when you're much more conscious, when you're much more loving, and all your, uh, let's say, insecurities kind of got cured in a way or that, you get triggered less. So I I can see thousands of things coming each day to my, to my career, to my personality, maybe my personal relationships. I understand that when I'm good with myself, I get triggered less. So that's a path, that's a vague path. It's not a path that, like an equation, okay, two plus two is four. But I believe each one of us should have a path within I don't know if it's with religious way. I don't know if if it's with booking, book, reading books, going to a psychologist, anything, going to yoga classes. But I think we need time to reflect on and to see what's going inside and to to have some movement, to have some move to cure that. So when you talk about that inner life, our inner life and that path within, do you also mean a purpose, trying to find our purpose in life? I've seen thousands of people and I've seen, I call them uh, greyish people, like they don't have any colors. They are like zombie people and I don't blame them. But I believe that even having a material purpose fuels you up. Like if you want to buy a car, you work better. If you want to impress your loved one, you you love better. That's the thing. So I believe that we should have a purpose, but I don't believe in astrological science saying that, oh, purpose of your life should be this. It's not being heard from somewhere outside of you. And it can change. Like my purpose was uh, to have a greater international audience in United States and all in Europe and everything. And I moved to United States and I had that chance. But my mom was terminally sick and I had, a, I had to choose a path saying that I could be very rich, very well known. And it was just a very small steps that I was looking for. Uh, but I asked myself and I said, I want to live the leftover life with my mom and I have the skill, I have the knowledge, I have the fuel, I can do this later. Uh, 
and I, I went back to Turkey. Uh, we had one and a half great years, kind of painful, but great years with my mom. We solved a lot through mom and uh, son also. Uh, and I took my time, I took the last times to experience with my mom. Now I'm back on track uh, trying to do this thing. So some of the time it's it's not a purpose which is it's not a purpose which is rigid and solid and cannot be changed. and it's like a birthright. It's rather it evolves in in time with your priorities, I think. So every one of us, has to have a purpose or let's say has to have something that fuels them up. And then along with breathing and taking that awareness, what other ways can people try to listen to their inner life? The thing is, uh, Buddha has a wonderful saying every day, 10 to 20 minutes, you should leave it for yourself. If you're too busy, you should have an hour. <laughs> <laughs> so it's it's great. The, yeah, the that's people, a good saying. I like, like that. I understand uh, it. Chennai came from all from Luxem Luxembourg to come to my a weekend seminar. And when I put the seminar uh, upon like Instagram, social media, the people say, "Oh, is there a nearer path? Uh, is there a nearer hotel that you will do?" Oh, come on, come on, make your way. Have your finances ready, have your mindset ready, and just give two days for yourself. It's not about me. It's about prioritizing yourself. My friends go out to uh, party. They spend lots of money. And I say, okay, would you like to consult a psychiatrist uh, about this? And they say, oh, I don't have the money. No, you don't have the priority. So prioritize what's best for you. And especially mom and dads like who who look, the people who look after the young ones say that i don't have the time for myself look i've gone through life with a cancer mom and if you don't look at yourself if you don't take care of yourself it really gives me lots of pain that you cannot imagine to the, that kid so the first responsibility that we have is to look at look at ourselves and say what do i need how can i provide better for myself then we can share it with all the others like if i came to here like coming from uh, istanbul all these stories all these books but i looked sick i looked angry i looked um I looked very uh, complaining about life and everything and traffic. How would you feel? How would you feel that I'm sincere about what I'm, what my message is? It's it wouldn't be fitting. So I want. So you're never allowed to have a bad day. <laughs> uh, I have, uh, and my assistant is here. Definitely, I have. I cry a lot. I get angry sometimes, especially to my father, which is the best soul that I've seen. But the thing is, that's natural. I allow my friends, me and my colleagues and my students, uh, all these attenders to the seminar to feel bad. But the thing is, negative feelings are not the host, they are the guests. So when the guest comes in, you might feel that you won't talk with your husband or wife or your partner. I will not talk to you for a lifetime, you would say. The anger makes you think like this, but it's an illusion. So silence would be the key and sometimes communication would be the key to lower that anger and to see that it's a guest in your house. It's not the host. Let him, let her in, let her uh, 
say what he or she wants to say to you. And of course, anger is also an alarm, a trigger saying that what has angered me? What has pushed my button? Why do I have a button here? So it's a, it's a place to reflect on yourself. I, I don't believe that life is all good. I've gone through so much pain that the people would only see and feel in movies. I had my mom, dad in the same hospital. I was crying for days and months and I had no money. So the people could say, oh, because you have money. No, I didn't. Oh, because you had a great fa- father and mother. Yes, I had great ones, but it took me a lifetime to understand that they were great people. I was complaining at that time. Oh, you had luck. No, I didn't have luck. So I believe that personal involvement needs to be put on the path. And the worst case scenario, the worst case that I've seen is the people who haven't lived through anything. They say, okay, I, I got a person who has gone through sexual abuse, all these things like war. And I say, okay, that's great story for me. I can build upon that. But there are people who have gone through nothing like spoiled kids, they don't have a financial issue, they don't have any medical issue, they don't have a purpose, they don't have a philosophy. So all these things combine and make a unique mold, let's say. And you, 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 need, to, you need to build something on that. So the things that you have gone through, I understand that they are painful, but I can see that they could be used as a fuel. Well, you come from Turkey and we have to mention that things there are not solid at the moment. And also we've had a a very recent natural disaster as well. For all of those thousands of people and families, I'm talking about Turkey politically and also, of course, the the recent earthquake. Um, How can you help the people of Turkey? I would say first the awareness, uh, because much of the people, population in Turkey needs how the world is functioning. So much of the, let's say, medium developed countries, which the Turkey is classified in, uh, they don't know how the security, they don't know how the sexual orientation, respect in people's lives, and all these things have to be Uh, shared throughout the world and the social media has good benefits about that like uh, 50 years ago there were homophobic people there were people who would say racial slurs and everything now it's kind of blending in with the new generation the people blame the new generation but none of them have created a genocide or none of them have created gas chambers for each other like they are doing better yes they are doing all these things on TikTok and everything. But I say, look at the pros and cons. You have left us a worse world. So the Turkey needs to look at that. But the second thing is we need to understand that uh, awareness creates uh, all the national culture. So you might have a Muslim culture, you might have a Christian culture, you might have uh, atheist culture. Yes, I understand. But if the base is respect and awareness like i cannot find any any great reason to harm you because you're from another country i really can't i tried to find a way i really can't find a way why should i punch someone in the face to lower my pain 
I cannot understand at my level of awareness, which I'm not bragging about. I'm just an average person. I cannot see how that will work. I cannot see how I be, I, me beating my kids would help them or help me. I cannot see how raping or sexually assaulting a woman would make me satisfied. That's so simple. And the way that I needed to give seminars about this is telling that we are not so civilized creatures. I th- Look at the things that I'm trying to defend and the people resisting. Why should I defend these things? It, they, they are purely out there and they are logical. So I believe that all of the world needs to see that different cultures and different challenges and different paths are on the way. And when I went to uh, the Far Eastern, it was like uh, Nepal or Bangkok, I don't know. I've seen a wonderful waitress. And I said, look, you have eyes like this. It's it's like an Eastern way of eyes. And she said, no, you have round eyes. Mm-hmm. And it was a It was a big hit for me. Like I thought her eyes were different because I was the default eye, like a round shape. And she said, no, mine is default and your eyes are round. And that's a very big philosophy. Like we always think that this is the common ground that I live in and this should be a common cultural and ethical ground for all the world to obey. And that creates a fascism. And I saw, I, I've seen so many true colors of different cultures, so many life stories saying that my truth may not be the only truth. So respect, compassion and supporting each other from whatever ethical background you come. Like I've, I've kind of leaded lots of acts of kindness in, in Turkey also, which I have two books about. And I've I've given, like, in the cold weather, in the winter, I traveled around the streets to give soups to people. Uh, I made, um, I had seminars for uh, cancer children. I went to hospitals. I've done lots of charities, but not only in a financial way, let's say. I was on the field. I was trying to help. I was doing first aid. I was packing uh, clothes and everything. And I understand that acts of kindness are not just good for the people who need them, but it's not a luxury, but it's a need. It's essential for all of us to be participating in because the humankind doesn't only need water, um, uh, like nutrition and everything. We really need to do acts of kindness in a daily basis, small or big everyone has different budgets, different time, I understand. But just try to smile and give a hug or share a meal with somebody else. You will notice the changes of biochemistry in your body. And I've I've been trying to prove that it's not for the people who need them. It's also for the people who provide them. So we all need that. Well, in fact, uh, one of the side stories that often comes out of an absolute tragedy like the earthquake situation in Turkey is that people really come together they really work together communities formed in a way that never exists before that happens and they are there for each other in a way that 
is phenomenal. It happened again, I can think of many instances, flooding instances around the world where people talk about this sense of community that if it only existed before, it really fills people up at a time when they really need that help and support, when they have lost so much their entire lives and often their entire families. Can I ask you something? Haven't we lost so much in the world? Haven't humanity paid all these debts? We have lost the environment. We have lost lots of kids. We had the medicine going in crazy ways. We had the education going in really negative ways. We have lost so much. As a humanity, why can't we do this? Do we need another earthquake? Do we need an Armageddon? Do we need an apocalypse? Well, I think this is, if you're asking me the question now, <laughs> I think uh, humans have always had to deal with these tragedies in their lives. And uh, being human is a form of suffering, some people would also say. Uh, it's just how we learn to deal with it. But I think it's also why we have so many religions and why people turn to people like you and call you a guru because you have this soft, calm voice and they're turning to you for answers. And in other ways, people have in the past, more than perhaps the present, turned to religions because they are seeking answers to their suffering. Definitely. Definitely. But I think it's a wake up call. Uh, and I believe that humanity can change. And I believe that I cannot pray for it. I cannot affirm it. I cannot do wishful thinking. But I say, let's create the path. And then just turning to your time here in Luxembourg, you will be giving seminars and you will be talking about your books. In the last few minutes that we have, talk us through the other four books that you have and what's in them. The first two books is a uh, two of trilogy, which is my trainings. The first book, which has became the bestseller, let's say, is the seminar that I'm going to give. It's the level one of trust human systems. Trust human is my philosophy and it's overcoming the illusion. So we overcome the illusions in life. And that's not a purely theoretical uh, path that the people, the attenders will take. So they will learn about the chi which is the ancient life force. They will do past cleanse, they will do balancing, they will do mastery over the mind exercises, which is, which is like so exciting to see the people. Wow, I've done this with my mind power and they can do that. The second one is the second training that I do. I have three trainings. And the, the other two is the acts of kindness, the science behind them, and also the actions behind them. So it's like a 210 uh, scientific research, which is to feel good and to make the world a better place. The other book is like, there are two call books, which is one is the heart, one is the mind. Mind is the science, the heart is the action, because I want the people to act upon the goodness. The fifth book is a story which is my mom wanted to read that so i i put it in a in the last place the last book is about the dandelion and the wind the wind is searching for the the land where the sun never sets the dandelion is searching for the highest mountain so she would fly from there so it's like a inner path kind of a, a little prince ish 
a naive book which the people will see that they are the dandelion and they are the wind so they will find a way in this love course but in a childish way so simple but so deep meanings uh, and this is a storybook let's say so i have the five ones the third of the trilogy is on the way but now my assistant let's say boss is making me work all the time i don't have the time to write it you don't have well as buddha said <laughs> if you're a very busy person you need one hour a day i've learned this morning um for those who uh, can't go to the seminar they can find your books online and we'll tag to all of those but just give us a handful of ways in which we can look after ourselves i would say definitely communicate with your body communicate do not exploit it do not whip it to work do not whip it to feel uh, good every feeling is welcome so the second thing whatever works for you like paula coelho works for you jay shetty works for you great just take some inspiration but uh, i'm sick of the uh, attitude saying that oh i've read that book okay did you practice it like i know that being racist is bad am i acting racist if it's a no yes i have its understanding but if it's no i have the knowledge of it but the action doesn't go with vibe with it so spirituality or inner path needs more than knowledge and pure knowledge doesn't work anything so i want them to digest it and create an understanding and philosophy about it. I could say I have the knowledge, okay, feel happy. The knowledge, oh, I need to feel happy. Okay, what should I do? The practices that I put will change my life and they change the world. And the third one, I would say be grateful about lots of things. I wouldn't say everything because I'm not grateful about everything. I I should be maybe in the ideal world, but I'm grateful for the people that I work with. I'm grateful to be here because you can imagine what I went through all these five years uh, and to be here is a great thing. I'm enjoying. I hope you feel it f- from the vibe. And being in Luxembourg, it's great. It's great. Well, I'm well. taking the best out of life. I'm trying. We're very happy to have you here and we hope that you enjoy your week. What's the best way to get in touch with you, Metin? I would say social media would be great. Now that we are focusing on the international audience, we will we will uh, have greater uh, places, but trusthuman.com would be the place or the social media Metin Hara, which is M E T I N H A R A. Wow, I spelled good. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> Instagram would be great. I know that it's sometimes in English, sometimes in Turkish, but hopefully when you get in touch, uh, I will uh, direct that to my uh, crew and we will definitely get in touch with them. It's been a pleasure to have you on the show and we really look forward to hearing more from you and digesting your books and thank you. trying to imbibe all of that information and working on it uh, to trust our human sides. It was a great experience. Thank you. Thank you so much, Martin.